The following program is not intended for children under 13, even though 13 is the spookiest of numbers. It contains coarse language, mature content, stories about ghosts, it's kind of spooky, and also I am not responsible for the things that come out of my wife's mouth. Listen at your own risk. Welcome to another episode of Spooky Stories. Ooh. I'm your ghost co-host, Matt McComb, the kooky one. And I'm the spooky one, Kaya, and today I want you to guess where we're traveling to. Uh, is it outside? Not today. Yeah, no, it is freaking cold outside. What, like minus 32? We're in what you call... A polar vortex. I think it's warmer than in Antarctica right now than it, it is, is here. It is warmer in Antarctica. Hey, now we're telling people how and when we record shows. So, Which we've done a few times before. Surprise, surprise. It's a Sunday and we are recording an episode for y'all. Right. And speaking of the episode that we're recording, do you have any guesses where we're traveling? Mm, everything spooky seems to be happening in Nova Scotia. So is it somewhere around there? Bingo! Oh, man. I know. Nova Scotia. Like, what up, man? Yeah. Am I going to get slapped at a salad bar again? No, that was... Was that Nova Scotia? Oh, that was, was Nova yeah, was Scotia. Yeah. <gasps> Can I make Game of Thrones references in this one? No. Oh, man. Yeah, sorry. Okay. Can we travel someplace less spooky? Nope. Not today. We could go um, to the Shoppers Drug Mart and um, pick up some medication. Have you been to the Shoppers Drug Mart in our neighborhood? It's still kind of spooky. How is it spooky? Have you seen some of the people in there? The prices are spooky. They're very high. (laughs) That's fair. (laughs) (laughs) I guess we can get into it. All right. So today we are going to travel to Amherst, Nova Scotia. Where is that? Which is close to Upper Sackville. So I believe that we traveled through that area with your aunt and uncle when we went to visit them a couple of years ago. For the audience at home, I believe this is an hour and a half north of Halifax. I think it's more like south. South of Halifax? I'm not sure. I don't actually know the geography behind it. Geography is not what this podcast is about, people. It's about spookiness. We've said that before. Yes. We're not here for the geography. We're not here for the geography. We're not here for the trains. Sometimes the trains. Sometimes the trains. There's typically trains. Anyways, so like I said, we're going to travel to Amherst, where we are going to learn about the story of Esther Cox. Okay. Yeah. So in 1878... Of course it's 1878. Her name is Esther do you know anyone named Esther Actually, today? I went to school with a girl named Esther and she was a couple years younger than I was. Oh so. man, how old are you? 31? <laughs> Almost 32? You don't need to lie on the podcast, huh? No. <laughs> I always forget how old I actually am because you're 32, so I always just assume I'm the same age as you, but I'm like six months younger. So we are going to travel to Amherst where we're going to learn about 18-year-old Esther. She arrived in Amherst, Nova Scotia in 1878 to live with her sister and her sister's family. Arrived from where? From another part of Another portal, another dimension? No. Okay. 
Just let me tell the story. Okay, fine. Tell the story. All I right. just figured that if she was 18 and her name was Esther, and this is spooky stories, that it was possible that she came from another portal like the one behind a spaghetti factory. I'm just saying. I get what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Not what happened. Okay. Okay. She came from another part of Nova Scotia. She came from another part of Nova Scotia. Boring. Uh, shortly after her arrival, the house was plagued by strange occurrences, with many of them happening to Esther herself. These occurrences followed the teenager wherever she went, eventually leading to poor Esther being subject to some pretty horrible things. Interesting. Yeah. So let's start with, you know, maybe finding out a little bit more about Esther and potentially why these happened to her. Yeah. Sounds good. Is she a teenage witch? No. Oh. Okay. Any other guesses? Uh, is she a medium? No. A psychic? No. A poltergeist herself? Can I just tell you the story? Yes. Okay. So, Esther was born on March 28, 1860 in Eastville, Colchester County, Nova Scotia, to parents Archibald and Esther. So yes, her mom's name was Esther as well. See? She was the youngest of six children. They were Olive, William, Abigail, Nellie, Jenny, and then Esther herself. Her mother died when she was just three weeks old, and her father didn't know how to care for her, so she was sent to live with her paternal grandparents, Olive Jane and Elazar Dickey. Okay, hold on. So her her mother died. Yep. Seven kids. Six. Six kids. And her father was like, I don't know how to take care of you. I mean, it was the 1800s. Men didn't really know how to take care of babies. That was like the woman's job. So wait, so did he take all the kids and bring them somewhere else to live with like crazy Jim Carrey or something? And there was a lemony <laughs> snicket thing going on? Um, no, as far as I know, it was just Esther because she was the baby. So all the kids were like two years apart. So when Esther was born, Jenny was two, Nellie was four, William was... Um, Eight because Abigail had passed away when she was a baby, so she doesn't figure into this story anywhere. And Olive would have been ten. So the older kids would have been able to help on the farm, but baby Esther, obviously, not very helpful. So the father was like, I've been too busy cutting down trees and, you know, sowing my oats. I never learned how to change a diaper. Basically. So y'all gonna have to live with someone else. Basically. That's basically what happened. Because I'm a man with a mustache. Yeah, he probably did have a mustache. Probably I don't like know. a twirly, swirly one. It's the 1800s, so there's not a lot of photos of these people. Mm-hmm. Actually, there's like no photos of them, unfortunately. What the hell are we going to post on our social media? There's other photos. Esther wasn't post. thinking about that when she decided to get haunted as shit. Sure, was shit she? wasn't, was she? Anyways, so by the time Esther was six, her and her siblings had experienced much turmoil in their lives. So their mother had passed away, they had already gone through two stepmothers, and they had become separated from their father and each other due to living with different families in this Stewiak area of Nova Scotia. I think that's what it is. It's like a really strange word. Stewiak. S-T-E-W-I-A-C-K-E. Okay. So I think it's Stewiak. So as a young child, Esther spent much of her time tagging along with her grandmother as she fed the chickens and gathered eggs. She was also able to spend time with her older siblings because they still lived nearby. As she grew older, she helped her grandmother with cooking, baking, making jams and pickles and other preserves, and washing the family's clothing each week. She attended every church event with her grandmother, who was a deeply religious member of an active Christian community. While Esther lived right across the road from the school... 
It was unlikely that she attended on a regular basis, which means that she probably wasn't over-educated. Not that it's a big deal, but... Is that your way of saying she was probably dumb? Not that she was dumb, but, like, she wasn't really educated on a lot of things. Gotcha. Right? Sounds like she was actually pretty helpful. So, like, yeah, I think so Dad kind of messed up on that one. Yeah, so the thing can kind of just, like, mm-hmm. go by the wayside, right? So, in July of 1874, when Esther was 14, her sister Olive, who was 24 at the time, was living in Amherst, Nova Scotia, and married a man named Daniel Teed. Shortly after this, the rest of the siblings moved to Amherst as well in search of more than what the farm life could offer them. While Esther was brought up with traditional ideals that her life was to revolve around the home, she used to be quiet, subservient, just get married, be a wife and mother, she didn't really like that. So she showed some signs of rebellion and she also liked to get her own way and she was stubborn and moody so she wasn't really like the passive woman that she was trying to be raised to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Shortly after Olive and Daniel were married, they moved into a spacious rental where they lived with Daniel's brother, John, Olive's siblings, William, Jenny, Nellie, and Esther, and eventually Olive and Daniel's two sons, William and George. That's a lot of people in there. How house. old was Esther at this point? So Esther would have been, I would say, mm-hmm. probably 18. I think that's roughly when she moved in okay, with them. Okay, so that's why she, she was, was being all rebellious and stuff. She was a teenager. Yeah. So Daniel Teed was the head of the household and was accountable for all those living at 6 Princess Street, which is the address of the house. Esther and the other family members were expected to follow Olive's lead and obey him. You know. Yeah, of course. Thou shalt He's obey. He's probably like a mustache twirling child beater. I wish I knew what he looked like. I <laughs> unfortunately don't have a photo of him. Was he a child beater? He sounds like he might think been a so. child beater. I don't think so. He okay. sounds pretty patient with most of the stuff in this story. Oh, okay. Good so I don't you, know if he's a child beater. He just, you know, liked people to listen to him and do as he said. Yeah. Yeah, those are two different things. That is, those are two different yeah. things. So Esther had been courted by a man named Bob McNeil, who a was... A man or a boy? A man. How old was this man? Uh, 23. Okay. Yeah. Okay, that's She's not 18, so bad. So yeah, not too bad. She's legal. Bob was a distant cousin of Daniel Teed. So a distant cousin of Esther's brother-in-law. Mm-hmm. He was said to look like a romantic hero with dark eyes, black hair, and a fancy mustache. I love that. I love that. I would love like... <laughs> to be referred to as a romantic, romantic hero. hero. You know, that boy, I think you should go out with that boy, Kaya, because... He looks like a romantic hero. Romantic hero. So sweet, right? So yeah, so Esther and Bob are dating. By His this name is Bob. Bob. Bob I mean, the romantic hero. So like, anyways. By the summer of 1878, Bob and Esther had known each other for a while and were often in each other's company. Bob often visited the Teed household and attended meals and other family gatherings with Esther. All seemed fine until one day, which was Wednesday, August 28th, 1878, Bob and Esther decided they were going to go for a buggy ride, because I guess that's what you did in the 1870s on a date, was take a buggy ride. Actually, to be honest, in the book that I was reading, this was quite fancy, because most people just went for, like, a romantic stroll, but because Bob actually... Is a romantic hero. Because he's a romantic hero, but he also actually had a medical condition, which caused him to need to walk with supports. 
Okay. Yeah. They rented a buggy because a romantic stroll would have been very difficult for him to do. So like crutches? Basically, yeah. He looked like a romantic hero with crutches? Basically. That's, he must have been one handsome fella. Right. <laughs> right. Um, so anyways, they're out on their buggy ride. Bob drove along Victoria Street, which is like the main street in Amherst at the time. And out to the Tantiamar Marsh as the sun was setting. Oh, you don't want me going in those marshes. <laughs> There's no marsh fairies here. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But I say nothing good happens in a marsh. Right. I'm just saying, honey. I mean, nothing does. Nothing good does happen in a marsh because what had started out as a perfectly fine evening, both with the couple and the weather, <gasps> quickly changed as clouds rolled in, causing a rainstorm. No one really knows what happened with Bob and Esther, but when she showed up hours later, upset and crying with her clothes soaked through, everyone knew something was amiss. I'm thinking that the entire town probably thought that they had smoked weed together and she turned crazy and ate him. Maybe. Which would probably explain why Bob didn't show up for work the next day. Because he was eaten. Truth is, he actually just left Amherst and never returned. Okay. Yeah. No one knows what happened that night, but many say that she was assaulted by Bob. So whether it was a lover's quarrel or something worse, whatever had happened between Esther and Bob sparked what would become the international phenomenon of the Great Amherst Mystery. Okay. Yeah. So wait, the mystery is that he was a romantic hero with crutches. That's not actually and the mystery. And they showed up at the marsh, but he left. That's the mystery? That's not the mystery. Okay. We haven't even gotten into the Good, because that mystery is terrible. No, but what all of that led to was some pretty crazy shit starting for Esther. Foreshadowing. Yeah. So, September 9th, 1878, couple weeks after that incident in Faithful the marsh. Night. Yeah. Esther and Jenny, her sister, had just settled in for the night when they heard a strange sound coming from under the bed. They knew that the only thing under there was a box full of old fabric patches. So. There ain't nothing under there but in that box full of old fabric patches. (laughs) So the two decided to peek under the bed and what they saw was the box moving back and forth. Just like the box of patches just moving back and forth. They agreed that the sound they heard was just a mouse making its nest for the night and went to sleep. (laughs) Oh, it's just a mouse. Let it do its thing. Cool. Like here we would freak the fuck out if we knew there was a mouse in our box of fabric packages. Yeah. Uh, So it doesn't seem like a big deal, right? But the next night, the box became even more active, this time leaving the shadow of the bed and moving to the middle of the room where it flipped off its cover, turned on its side, and dumped its entire contents onto the floor. One of the girls got brave, got up, replaced the fabric and the cover, and quickly made her way back to the bed. Once she made it back to the bed, the box began to move again, dumped its contents once more, causing the girls to become truly alarmed. They called their brother William and brother-in-law John to come witness the activity. They thought the girls were playing a joke and sat and waited for something to happen. Now, it was that dang dare Stuart Little. Yeah. So nothing's happening. The guys are thinking that the girls are crazy. And then one of them suggested to turn down the lamp. So it's like an oil lamp so you can control the, the brightness yeah, of the yeah. flame, right? Um, after the lamp was turned down, the box came back to life, startling the men and causing Jenny to faint. Oh, dear, yeah. my stars. 
Um, next night, Esther and Jenny awoke to the feeling of their quilt and blanket slowly being pulled towards the foot of the bed by unseen forces. Again, they called upon William and John. They replaced the bedclothes, turned down the lamp, and waited because they're like, well, when it's dark, weird shit happens. This time, the blankets crept slowly towards Esther's side of the bed, and the pillows began to move that way as well. John tried to grab one and felt a jerking motion. He Can I just go. say something? What? It feels like we might have one of those presences in our house because I'm always losing the blankets, and they all suddenly seem to be just dragged towards your way accidentally. Um, so John tried to grab one of the pillows and felt a jerking motion. He let go of the pillow and it flew to the end of the bed. So that was that night. Now, each evening things kept getting worse. One evening, Jenny was awoken by Esther screaming that she was dying. Jenny lit the lamp to see Esther standing in the middle of the room, clutching the back of a wooden chair, her fingernails digging into the wooden chair. She's standing there. Her hair is all on end. Her face is red and her eyes are like bulging out of her skull. That sounds creepy. Sounds terrifying, right? Spooky even. Yeah. So Jenny called for help. And again, John and William come running to the rescue. So they were followed this time by Olive and Daniel because there's, you know, Jenny screaming, Esther screaming. Everybody in the house is awake at this point. So they managed to get Esther to settle back into bed. They just have her like sitting on the edge. They're trying to calm her down. When she jumped up and screamed that she was going to burst into pieces. And with this, her body swelled as she screamed and ground her teeth. So she just like all of a sudden started to just like swell everywhere on her body. Like she had the mumps? Like her entire body. Like she was a big balloon? Basically. Like Veruca Salt and Willy Wonka. Oh my God. Yeah. So she's screaming. She's grinding her teeth. Her body's swelling. Everybody's trying to figure out what the fuck's going on here. Yeah, that's a little nasty. Um, All of a sudden, there's a loud noise, like a clap of thunder. Oh, don't tell me she exploded. (laughs) No. The convulsions just stopped. Like everything just stopped. Uh, There were three more thunderous booms that shook the entire house and then all of a sudden Esther's swelling started subsiding so she's not like swollen anymore they managed to like get her into bed and she slept soundly the rest of the night how did anyone else sleep soundly (laughs) I'd be like I'm out send this girl somewhere else they did not dad had the right idea get this bitch out of here right So she continued to experience these painful happenings of swelling, twitching, and she even occasionally ended up in like a trance-like state. Her suffering seemed to only be relieved when the thunderous rapping sounds began. So every night, this poor girl is like screaming, swelling, her body is twitching. Um, Some nights she's in like a trance and then there's like these thunderous bangs and it just stops. It's a ghost doctor. Every night. Every night. Could you imagine? Like, no, thank you. No, thank you. Um, so these loud nightly noises started attracting attention from the neighbors who wanted to know what was going on. The family couldn't explain anything. Like, how do you explain that to your neighbors? Well, listen, listen, Mark. Um, there's this (laughs) thing going on with my daughter. I'm not really sure what the deal is, but she, uh. She's not the daughter. She's the sister. She, you know. The sister, my sister, there's something wrong with her. See, every time that it's nighttime, 
she kind of swells like a big balloon and then she's like gripping the chair really loudly and she's like i'm gonna die i'm gonna die i'm gonna die and then there's like these three bangs and then she just stops doing things does that sound like that's is that a good enough explanation for you mark or can i go back to living my freaking life and not worrying about my damn neighbors trying to be all up in my business sounds good i like that yeah um that's what i'd say well unfortunately that wasn't what they did they just kind of like brushed off the neighbors But at this point, Olive and Daniel were at their wits end on what to do about this situation. So they called in Dr. Thomas Carrot. Yeah, I know. I love that. Um, Spelled C-A-R-I-T-T-E, but it's pronounced Carrot. Who was the family physician to check Esther over and see if he could diagnose her condition. Dr. Thomas Carrot sounds like a nutritionist from the 90s. Right. Hey, kids, it's me, Dr. Thomas Carrot. (laughs) Don't forget to eat your vegetables. Anyways, so the first evening, Dr. Carrot observed the swelling and some of the other symptoms that Esther had been experiencing and treated her for a condition called nervous prostration, which I was like, I don't know what that is, but that sounds weird. So I looked it up. Sounds like an anxious praying person. Um, so nervous prostration is an emotional disorder that leaves you exhausted and unable to work, which I feel like I suffer from every day. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Now, um, I think a lot of people suffer from nervous prostration, if that's what that is. It's a very common thing nowadays, I'm sure. Yeah, I think it's very harsh on millennials, particularly. So his um, idea to help her was to administer the then standard medication for rattled nerves, which was powdered laudanum mixed with water and alcohol. What is laudanum? Yeah, I knew you were going to ask. I thought so there was like, something also, to do with orgasms, probably, too. Mm, there is, but I, uh, I knew it. Um, so laudanum was actually a very common medication. And I say medication loosely because it was literally just a tincture of 10% opium and also included morphine and codeine. Oh, sounds like she was having a good time. Right. So anytime he visits her, he gives her this laudanum. It's supposed to like, it's supposed to help calm her down, but it did little to help Esther. And for the months of September and October of 1878, the bedroom of Esther and Jenny was a nightly scene of turmoil. The blankets continued moving on their own. Esther continued to swell, have severe physical experiences that were beginning to worsen and even started imitating Movements of sexual intercourse. <laughs> yeah. So not orgasms, but like... I can just imagine this bitch swelling <laughs> to the size going, Ho, 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 Um, anyways. So, the situation's clearly getting worse at this point. Um, ho! <laughs> so... The rapping and pounding noises that began at night became a regular happening and would soon be heard day and night and always when Esther was around. Nighttime kept the sounds contained in the bedroom, but by day they occurred whenever the girl went down to the cellar or into the barn to do her chores. Side note, I think I woke Marcy up with my sounds of (laughs) swollen pleasure. Yeah. Um. (laughs) Do you know what she needed to do? What? Snap out of it. (laughs) Oh, anyways. So, according to the Shinecto Post, who was reporting on the events, so that was like one of the local papers, the sounds 
of the banging, the rapping, were akin to a colossal fist pounding on the beams with the fury of a demon. Direct quote. Colossal fist pounding on the beams with the fury of a demon. Correct. So not a demon. Just the fury of one. The fury of a demon. So those who would accompany Esther claimed that the noise was made by no human hand or any agency visible to the human eye. It apparently sounded as if it were a flesh-covered hand and not some other natural source, like a tree banging against the house or the barn or like, you know. Did they try saying who's there? Maybe the guy was just trying to tell knockout jokes. Well. Because laughter is the best medicine, right? So... The rappings apparently did have a sense of humor and would occasionally tap out to the tune of Yankee Doodle and a song from the 1800s called Someone's Tapping at the Garden Gate. Oh, yeah. no. Um, it would also keep time with any tune that someone would be singing or whistling. So that one from Insidious, what's that one? I don't know. The Garden or something? Tiptoe through the oh god, tiny tip. No. So it wasn't that one because that was well after this this instance. I imagine it's something similar to like someone's tapping at the door. Something like that. Uh, so while it did have a humorous side, it also had a really nasty side. Esther began to experience physical attacks, like the appearance of being slapped. So many people that would did be she like visit a salad bar. <laughs> Um, oh man, we gotta stop just rehashing jokes. Yeah. I'm sorry to everyone in the spoopiverse. Yeah. So many people that you know would like be around Esther when these things were happening claimed that they would hear a slapping sound, and then Esther would appear with conspicuous red marks on her. Uh, I told you that man was a child beater. Yeah. Uh, so these, just keep in mind that all this happened when Daniel wasn't home. Except okay. for the ones at night. So You're just like really all about making sure that Daniel is, is innocent. Because he's not, honestly, like I just want you to know that he's not the villain in this story. Okay, fine. He's just a poor bystander in gotcha. everything. So Esther even said on one occasion that she saw a large black hand reach out to strike her. And she ended up feeling like she was being slapped. Damn. Creepy, right? The phenomenon continued for months and became very, very well known. Many visitors came to try and figure out what was going on with Esther, including clergymen and physicians. They would observe her and come up empty-handed on what was going on. So, like, nobody could figure it out. They didn't think that um, just, like, giving her more cocaine or ketamine would would fix it? Not the answer. Not Because it wasn't working. So they would observe her closely, and during this time, strange things would happen. Chairs would follow Esther around. So an example of that was she once went into the pantry, and when she attempted to step out, all of Olive's wooden chairs were piled up in front of the door as if they were, like, trying to follow her into the pantry. Like puppy dogs? Yeah, but chairs. Puppy dog chairs. think of, like... I know they're not chairs, but it made me think of, like, the mops in Fantasia where they, like... Another time while she was in the cellar... I love this. I loved writing this. A basket of beets trailed along behind her. So it's just, like, a basket of beets. Just it's like the ghost of Dwight Schrute. Just, like, like, bouncing along behind Esther as she's walking through the Sorry, cellar. Sorry, Dwight Schrute. It would have been it his would have great, been great grandfather. Yeah. So... Weird shit's happening. Yeah. Now, Esther also became an instrument for automatic writing. You remember that? what that is, right? Yeah, yeah. We've That's where you just like, convulse and write while you're in a trance. Right. 
So I tried to find like what some of the things were that Esther may have written with her automatic writing. So most of that brings us to our sponsor today. So many of the sentences were deemed to be too profane to be repeated through like what I read. Some of them casually were like, go fuck yourself. Literally. Oh, wow. Yeah. Or go to hell. Yeah. Yeah. Great, right? So at the time, 1800s, like, you can't put that stuff in newspapers. No, I don't think you, you put can, that stuff in regular newspapers. You can write about, like, murder and ghosts, but you can't write, go to hell. So. Yeah. Right? The most well-known report of Esther's and her automatic writing was one night while in a trance-like state, and everybody's, like, in trying to calm her down. There was a scratching sound above the bed. When it was closely inspected, it read out, Esther Cox, you are mine to kill. And we are at 30 minutes, which means I'm going to stop this for this week, and we will pick up again next week. That is scary as shit. You are mine to kill? Yeah. But just do it already. That's what I would be like. Yeah. That is not cool, man. So... Anyways, so yeah, so we are going to turn this episode into a two-parter because there was just so much information when I was researching this that I didn't want to have like an hour and a half long episode because that's just not what we do. Mm -hmm. So we are going to stop here for this week and we will pick up again next week. In the meantime, if you like what you hear, if you like any of our previous episodes, we'd love to have a review. And you can go to facebook.com slash spooky stories pod, click on reviews, and you can recommend our podcast there. You can check us out on Instagram at spooky stories pod, and you can visit our website at spookypodcast.com. We also have some exciting news. We have very exciting news. Do you want to talk about it? I can talk about it. Yeah. We are possibly, maybe, kind of, sort of, starting a merch store, and we are looking for suggestions for what you guys would like to see. Now I've got a couple already. I do absolutely love everyone's suggestions. And we'd I was love thinking to get something more. like, yeah, like stay spooky or um, slapped at the salad bar. Slapped at the salad bar or uh, if you like The Shining, you'll love Canada, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah, so if you have any ideas for us, you can leave them for us on our Facebook page. Leave them on a Instagram post. We just really want to hear what you would like to see in our merch store. Yeah, and keep them coming, folks. Uh, I, I do love getting the feedback, so thank yeah, you so much. Definitely. So we are going to end it here, and we want to say thank you for listening. And until next time, we hope you... Keep it spooky. Yeah, we could put that one on there, too, couldn't we? Keep it spooky. We can. Keep yeah. it spooky. Ooh. We out.